0: to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Donner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic this year, this podcast has been nothing but magical. I look back at each guest and think of how they came into my life, our amazing conversations, the messages that have been sent out to all of you and the lessons we have all learned along the way. What a gift this podcast has been. Now, as I reach my 68th week on this show, which means almost 68 people I have had the opportunity to share their magic with you is an incredible feeling. Not only have I been able to share these beautiful messages, but I've been able to create courses now for kids and adults about the tools that I truly believe are game changers to having a successful life and the confidence to go along with it. I have seen the graduates of my classes start businesses. They didn't even imagine before, have a better batting average because of the visualizing I taught him and the mindset to hit the ball where he wanted to go. I've helped kids overcome self-limiting beliefs so they can see how powerful they truly are and that they can be, do, or have anything in life. Making an impact is one of the best feelings. Knowing I have helped these kids and now parents adds so much to my life. I am now setting my eyes on higher mountains. <laughs> manifesting a bigger impact, touching more lives and changing the mindset of millions. If you want to empower your kids, or if you want to learn my mindset tools to take your life to the next level, meet me at one of my free master classes that will be in the link in the show notes. Or if you want to email me at ashleygonner at gmail.com, I can send you the information or you can check out my website, ashleygoner.com. It would mean the world to me to have you in my class. I am on a mission to impact millions, and I would love for one of those to be you. Now on to the episode. Today is a very interesting episode. My guest is Terry Tucker. I am not going to give you his bio in this introduction because I want you to hear it from him. His story is incredible and so inspiring. I am touched by the man he is today and what he has gone through to get here. You will look back at your life and think, if Terry can have a positive outlook on his life with his circumstances, who am I to complain or think my life is tough? Remember this life is a gift. Live in the moment, embrace the now, and be love in every situation. That's what Terry has done. And this interview will be a great reminder of that to you today. Here is an excerpt from his book, Sustainable Excellence. Terry Tucker believes everyone is born to lead an uncommon and extraordinary life, and that has nothing to do with where you work, how much money you make, or where you live. We are not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we all have the ability to become the best person we are capable of becoming. But how do you achieve this remarkable life in an age where everyone seems to just get by? In his book, Terry answers the three basic questions that will lead you to your best life. What is excellence? How do you achieve it? And most importantly, how do you sustain it? You're going to love this conversation. So let's get started. Please welcome Terry Tucker to the show. Welcome, Terry.
1: Thank you, Ashley. I'm excited to talk to you today.
0: Me too. I loved getting to know you and I do my research and I love to learn and I've just read about your book and what your message is and really your story. Like I didn't talk about your bio, your, you know, your background that much. I talked about that you wrote a book in the introduction, but because I think it's so fascinating and, you know, when people look at their life, it's always, you know, especially when you're what, 60 years old. Yes. When you get to this, I'm 52, you know, we get through the middle of our life and when we have a story, like that's our, our life is a story. And when I like, I'm raising two daughters right now. And when I, we talk about, we're starting your story, you know, your childhood, my 15 year old, I said, you have three years left and of childhood, you know, like that's your childhood. That's your story. And so when I think of Terry Tucker, I think of your story. And I think of when people take risks or do different things and try things, don't second listen to your intuition. What am I going to do? Take that step? Not, you know, and you do. And you, that's what makes your story so fascinating. So take us to the place you want to start that you really feel like people would understand kind of your, your story.
1: Uh, yeah, there there's so many different components of it. I, I'll, I guess I'll really kind of start from the beginning. I'm from Chicago. I'm the oldest of three boys. You, you can't tell this from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I played college basketball at the Citadel, which is a military college in in Charleston, South Carolina. And when I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. Now I'm really dating myself because there was no internet or anything back then. But, you know, I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree, you know, and I kind of look back on it and think what a knucklehead I was for, you know, thinking I knew anything about business just because I had a degree. But the good news is I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. The bad news was I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my dad and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In terms of my professional career, as I said, I was in marketing with Wendy's. I was a hospital administrator. I was a police officer. And while I was a police officer, I did undercover narcotic work, and I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator, which always is kind of one of the things that piques people's interest about what I did. Then I became a school security consultant, a girls high school basketball coach, a motivational speaker. Last year, I became an author. But as you mentioned, for the last nine years, I've really kind of been battling this very rare form of melanoma. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for uh, almost 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is a lieutenant in the newly formed branch of the military, the Space Force.
0: That's amazing. That's really cool. Like I was listening to what she went to college. Went to in basketball, right? And then Yeah, she
1: went to the Air Force Academy to play basketball. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And now she's doing this top secret <laughs> position in the isn't that that's so we can't even talk to her about her job.
1: No, it's, I mean, conversations are very short, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm good. What's going on at work? I can't talk about it. Okay, good talking to you. you (laughs) That's
0: cute. Oh, I love it. So when you go back to the beginning when you were, you went to finish your college, you know, how were you raised and what, you know, I feel like you have this mindset, but you are kind of like on a mission to either discover new things or always find, you know, like challenge yourself. Did your mom and dad raise you in that way with your brothers and all the sports and you know, being so tall and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, we were a sports family. I have a brother that's six seven who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame. I have another brother who's 6'6", six six, who played for the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was 6'5". So I, I kind of always joke that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayer's chance you were going to see anything that was going on whatsoever. But You know, my five foot eight inch mother was really the boss. It didn't matter how big or or strong or tall or everything or whatever mom said, that's kind of the way it went. But yeah, my parents' family was incredibly important to us and we supported each other. We went to each other's games. And I even remember when my dad was sick, I was an adult. I was out of college. I had my job at Wendy's. I was doing it. And my brother, my youngest brother had a, a basketball game one night. And I told my dad, I said, you know, I'm not going to go to the game tonight. I'm going to go work out after work. And my dad was like, no, you're not. What do you mean, no, I'm not? It's like, no, your brother's got a game. We got to go support him. You know, and I'm like, no, I'm an adult. But I mean, my dad was right. It was all about supporting each other and things like that. So, yeah, family, I kind of talk about one of the things that's gotten me through my cancer journey is the three F's, which are faith, family and friends. And that middle, that family component certainly with my wife and daughter has been instrumental in keeping me alive so far. But yeah, our our family was always, we're going to support each other. And it doesn't matter what you want to do. You want to do that? Okay, we'll support you in it. And that's, you know, that's kind of, it gives you that security to want to, well, okay, I can do that. Because, you know, a lot of people are, I'm afraid to do that. Or, you know, people might laugh at me or what if I fail and all that kind of stuff. You know, when, when your family has your back, you can pretty much do anything you want.
0: Oh, I agree 100%. Is that how you raised your daughter? Like, dream big, go big, don't settle, there's no limits? Yeah, I mean, there
1: was, we pushed her to things, and the fact that she graduated from the Air Force Academy, one of the interesting things about her is when she was in middle school, she was diagnosed with dyslexia and a anxiety disorder and an attention disorder and worked incredibly hard. To learn in a different way. She learns with color and music and things like that. And, you know, usually as a parent, you're like, you know, turn that music off and study. Well, she learns that way. And I can't tell you how proud my wife and I were when she got into the academy. And then on that, I I still remember that warm May day where she walked across the stage, got her diploma and shook hands with the president of the United States. You know, it's kind of like, wow, here's this kid who you know, got special attention and had could take her tests in a different room and had all these different compensations that she didn't get at the academy. It's like, here's the deal. You know, you got to make it on your own. And she did. So incredibly proud of her. But also we pushed her in in different ways. You mentioned she went to the academy to play basketball. And when she made that decision that I'm going to go play here, I said to her, well, there were other coaches that were interested in having her come play for them. I said, you need to call them and talk to them and tell them your decision. And she's like, no, no I'm just going to send them a text. I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to get on the phone and you're going to call them. I mean, this is about relationships. You know, this isn't about just the text. And she was very nervous about doing that. We had a role play, some of that. And mm-hmm. it was kind of funny because I think it was good for but there were a couple of coaches at lesser schools that got mad at her, and kind of yelled at her for like, what do you mean you're not coming to? Play? And I'm like, really, you're going to the Air Force Academy academically, one of the better schools in the United States. And you're mad? Come on. Huh. You know?
0: so, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, even just thinking of my girls and raising them and my oldest one just started crew team and, you know, out of like kind of a COVID blessing is what I call it. Yeah. And understanding kind of what it takes to, you know, this is a different generation of growing up and all the text messages or the ways that you can hide behind things that aren't going to put them in front. And, you know, it's like watching the other kids and how I've taught my kids to be like that. Like, yes, I mean, right now they're down practicing. They're in a, they are in a pageant, but it's for speaking and, and interview. And so we do these mock interviews all the time. It's constant, constant. And, you know, I see the benefit and I see there as a parent, how important putting them out and making them do those things, you know, not making them, but they want to, but you know, like what, what the gift is in it instead of getting by the easy way, you know, by texting or, you know, that's the
1: only way you're going to grow any of us, whether it's your children or or you or I, you know, you've got to get outside that comfort zone because that's the only way you're going to be able to grow and move forward in life. And and sometimes you need a push in the back and sometimes you need a kick in the butt. And, you know, that's
0: that's what mom and dad are for. Right. Explain to me the moment when you went to the police department or the police force when your dad passed away because he didn't want you to be in the police department. Right.
1: Yeah. My grandfather was a, his father was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he was in Chicago during Prohibition when there was no alcohol in the United States. During the Great Depression, back in the '30s, and then also during the the height of the gangs, you know, the Al Capone and the and the different gangs that kind of were shooting up the city. And he was actually shot with his own gun in the line of duty. It wasn't a serious injury; he was shot in the ankle. But my dad remembered the stories his mom told about the knock on the door of you know, Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, your husband was shot, and come with us. So he would have nothing to do with me being a policeman and. You know, it's funny because he and I know he did this out of love. This was not out of spite or anything like that. But, you know, he had my whole life planned out. You know, you're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get a job. You're going to, you know, get married, have 2.4 kids, live in a house in the suburbs, and live happily ever after. That was what he wanted me to do. That's Mm -hmm. not what I believe God put me on the face of this earth to do. And that was to be in law enforcement. So, yeah, I waited. You know, if you look at my first two jobs, business at Wendy's and then hospital administration, another kind of business opportunity. I waited until he passed away. And then I I became a 37-year-old rookie police officer, which by most standards is pretty old to be starting that kind of career.
0: Huh? But it was the hostage, right? It wasn't just a police officer.
1: So I started out as a police officer and I ran a beat. I was in a car, in a marked car, in a uniform and that. And then I... I transitioned to working plain clothes, working undercover in the drug unit. And and people always laugh about that. It's like, you know, you're six foot eight. How could you possibly have gone undercover as, you know, as a narcotics officer? And and what I always tell people is what drives that industry, and and it is an industry, is greed. If you have money, you'll find somebody to sell you drugs. And kind of about the time I joined the drug unit, I also joined the SWAT team as a negotiator. And being on SWAT, you know, we always used to kind of say that when the public needs help, they call 911. When the police need help, they call SWAT. So I wanted to be part of the best. And they were the best. They they got the best training, the most training, you know, the latest equipment that we had and stuff like that. So I wanted to be part of that. So I, I applied and went through the you had to go through a physical fitness test and a psychological test and all kinds of interviews and was lucky enough to to get in to do that. And it was certainly a lot of fun. And I, I learned a lot.
0: Huh. And then you go on and you now it's what, 2012, and you, you're playing your basketball coach, right? Correct. Okay. And you discover this thing underneath your toe and you go and get it checked and take us to this new phase of your life. Yeah. So
1: I'm a basketball coach. I have a callus break open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe. And I don't initially think much of it since being a coach requires you to be on your feet for a great deal of time during the day. But after a couple of weeks when it didn't heal, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he's like, I think you got a cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did cut it out and he showed it to me. It was just a gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No blood, no dark spots, nothing that would give any rise to think anything was wrong. And he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, he calls me. And like I said, he was a friend. So the more difficulty he was having describing what was going on, the more frightened, the more scared I was becoming until he just kind of laid it out. He said, Terry, I've been practicing Uh, I've been a practicing physician for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a very rare form of melanoma. And we all think of melanoma as kind of a skin disease. You know, you're out in the sun or something too much. Well, there's a rarer form, which I have, which appears on the bottom of your feet or the palms of your hands. And there's an even rarer form that appears in your mucous membrane. So in your nose or your mouth or something like that, but it's still melanoma. And he suggests that I go to MD Anderson in Houston to be treated, which is probably one of the best cancer hospitals we have in the United States if not the world. So I did. I had this, you know, the tumor cut out of the bottom of my foot, I had all the lymph nodes removed in my groin, and when I healed, my oncologist put me on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon, which for me was it was nasty, it was debil- a very debilitating drug that gave me flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for two to three days for almost five years. And that wasn't a cure. That was just to keep the disease from coming back. As my oncologist used to say, we're trying to kick the can down the road and, and hopefully there'll be more therapies for you. So that all occurred in 2012. I eventually went off the interferon In 2017, the disease came back almost immediately. 2018, I had my left foot amputated because of the cancer. 2019, two more surgeries when it came back in my shin. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And the only recourse I had at that point in time, right in the middle of the pandemic, was to have my left leg amputated Above the knee. And I also found out that I have tumors in my lungs. So that's kind of been my nine year cancer odyssey. And, you know, talking about changing your life, it certainly was a life changing event.
0: Oh, well, you know, I, first of all, just even talking about it and how beat you are. And I know that you, that's just who you are. There's no other choice to, but to talk about it that way. What shifted in you? Like when, when you start to know that, you know, my days are numbered, what's different? Or have you always just kept the same mindset? I mean, I think I've changed.
1: I mean, I certainly went through a lot of the things initially of denial. You know, this can't be right. I have done everything right in my life. I've eaten right. I don't abuse alcohol and drugs. I have a physical, you know, all the things that we're told to do to stay healthy. And yet I still have this rare form of cancer. A couple years ago, I had my genes tested, genetic testing of all eighty-eight genes that doctors either know or suspect cause all different forms of cancer and i have no mutations in any of those genes which kind of begs the question why did i get this and my oncologist is i don't know i don't know why you got it i mean maybe it was a trauma but i can't think of ever having a trauma in that in that area or anything like that so you know you just accept the fact that these are the cards that i've been dealt and i have to play them and We're all going to experience pain in our lives. And it doesn't have to be pain like mine, like cancer. I mean, you you could flunk a test in school or break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, you know, not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. We're all going to experience pain. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, that's optional. That's what you do with that pain. Do you take that pain, use it to make you stronger, to make you tougher, to make you more determined? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and ask people to feel sorry for you? I don't want your audience to think that, you know, I have a big S on my chest and I wear a cape. I don't. I mean, I have bad days. I cry. I I get down. I feel depressed and things like that. that. That happens to me too. But I just choose not to stay there for very long. It happens. I'm a human being. I'm not a robot. I can't just turn this on and turn it off. I have bad days. But it's your choice on what you want to do with that pain.
0: Right. And you're a motivational speaker, but I just saw it just now come out. (laughs) What inspired you to do that? Just your pain of this cancer? Just kind of you realize what people like this darkness can be turned into this bright light? Yeah, I started to
1: realize that this sort of story that I've lived every day was something that people were interested in, that they look at there's an old Winston Churchill, former prime minister of Great Britain, had a great saying. He said, you know, when you're going through hell, keep going. And so I, I kind of felt I was going through this hell. And it was like, well, I might as well do something with and I might as well make something positive out of it. And so along the line, I've kind of developed my four truths that I use to, in addition, as I said, you know, I have the three Fs, but but the four truths are things that I use to kind of guide my life and and to to make decisions that I think are appropriate for me, because I want my life to be about the decisions I made, not the decisions that I didn't make or that somebody else made for me. So I'll give you these four truths. They're just four sentences. And if I'm looking down, it's because I keep them on a posted note right here in my desk. So I see them multiple times every day. And the first one is control your mind or it will control you. The second one is embrace the pain and the discomfort that we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one is, and I've really added this third one fairly recently, what we leave behind is what we weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I I had a nurse come to me one time and this clinical trial drug that I'm on is pretty pretty much beats me up when I take it. And she said to me, you know, Terry, nobody would think anything less of you if you stopped this drug, if you got off this drug. And I and I tried to explain the four truths to her and I, and I could tell that I, I didn't get through to her. But one thing I did tell her was, yes, I hope this drug has a positive impact on me. I, I mean, I, I'd be an idiot to tell you that this was all altruistic. It's not. I hope it works for me. But there is an altruistic part of this, which is this is something bigger than me, that if the doctors can learn from all the tests that they do, the CAT scans, the blood work and everything they do for me, and maybe develop a drug five years from now, 10 years from now, when I may not even be here, that I had some small part in making happen that saves somebody else's life or prolongs somebody else's life. That's part of something that's bigger than me. And I think that's one thing that team sports has taught me. You're part of a team. And if you don't do your job, then you not only let yourself down, you let your teammates down, you know, you let your coaches down, you let your fans down and things like that. So this is bigger than me. And as long as I keep that, you know, sort of in the in the forefront of my mind that this just isn't about me, it's a lot easier to deal with the pain that I go through.
0: Oh, you gave me tears. But when you think of the first one, when you say control your mind, or it will control you. I mean, I know each one of these comes with a story that you had to figure out that one truth. What would be your first thing in your mind that brought that that as your first truth? So that really
1: kind of goes back to something I learned when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries in high school. And and I was, Without sounding conceited, I was a pretty good basketball player in high school, good enough to have three knee surgeries and still play Division One college basketball. But our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, to the mind, the status quo is normal. It's good. Don't mess with it. Just stay there. But like we talked before, the only way we're going to grow is to step outside of that status quo. But when I had these knee surgeries, my mind started being sending these messages like, you know, you're probably a step slower and probably not as good as you used to be. And coaches probably aren't going to want to recruit you the way they used to and stuff like that. So it started putting all this negative garbage in my head, in my brain. And I think the first thing you need to do to overcome that is to realize that it's happening. You know, there are so many things that we get bombarded with every single day that you got to say, oh, wait wait a minute. And that's a negative thought. Your brain can only hold one thought at a time. Why would you make that a negative thought? So I learned very early on on that truth to flip the switch and say, no, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still contacting me, wanting me want to come and play for them. So this is not even true, not alone being negative. So get that off, change that mindset and come up with another positive thought and replace that. It's not going to happen overnight if that's what you're experiencing. You know, if these negative thoughts are continuing to creep in your mind, you're going to have to constantly battle with them. But if you do that, eventually you're going to have positive stuff going on in there and you're going to feel a whole lot better.
0: Right. It's like a muscle in my mind. Like When when you can, you know, create that, because it's when I teach my groups or my kids, your thoughts are so powerful. What are they? 60 to 70,000 a day. And they're all basically the same. Right. And most of them are negative. So catch those and stop. And I always make the girls go, huh, isn't that interesting? So they're almost like saying something at the same time. So it like stops the flow of the thought. And then all of a sudden I, we are like a team at this house, like, okay, someone just said something, catch you, you know, but it's a muscle. And I feel like if people get that and understand how powerful that those thoughts are, the words you speak, that
1: their life is can be changed in, a, in an instant. It, even... it can. It, it yes. really can. And when I was a basketball coach, I told my players, I said, I will never punish you for doing something by making you run, except for very, one thing. If I ever hear any of you say, I can't. Mm-hmm. If you say that, we're running. But other than that, I'll never punish you by making you run. But I don't want any of you just, I can't. You may not be able to do it now, but when we work on it, you'll eventually get there. So get that I can't out of your mouth, out of your mind, especially when and this drives me crazy. You know, people will come up to me and be like, you know, I could never do what you did. Yeah, you're right, because you've already told yourself you can't do it. Why would you go into anything saying I can't do this? You might as well just go home and go back to bed, because if you have whatever it is, you go into it with that attitude. You're absolutely right. You can't do it and you won't do it.
0: Right. And it's like pushing yourself and seeing the magic is my word, but seeing the magic once you do that and you start creating that muscle, and then all of a sudden life is just handing magic moments every turn you, you take. That's the magic of life is doing that. And if people are going to sit there and be afraid and live in fear and not live in that place of love and this awe of what life can bring me when I change my mind to positive, positive. And to think of the beautiful things that are going to happen and not live in the fear. Oh my gosh, that's the magic.
1: <laughs> it is. And think about that. What limits us? It's us. We're, right. We limit ourselves. I mean, I always tell people everything you need to be successful in life is already inside you. You just need to find it and bring it out. Now, maybe you need to go to a coach or a therapist or something like that to help you do that. But there's an old story about Alexander the Great who was dying and he brings all his counselors together. And he says, I want you to carry out my final three wishes. He said, my first wish is I want my physicians only to carry my coffin to the grave. My second wish is I want the road to the cemetery to be paved with gold and silver and precious stones. And the third wish is I want my hands to be left outside my coffin. And one of his counselors is like, Alexander, those are pretty weird wishes. Why do you want that? And he said, the first one, I want my doctors to carry my coffin to the grave because I want people to realize that no doctor ever heals or cures anybody. They just help the body to cure itself. He said, so that was number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is he said, I spent my entire life accumulating gold and silver and precious stones and riches and power. And yet none of that is coming with me to the next life. And then the third thing about having his, his hands outside of his coffin, he said, I came into this world empty handed. I want people to realize that I'm leaving it in the same way. So yeah. I, I think that's a really good story about what's really important in life, and that. especially from a person who was probably the greatest conqueror of all times.
0: Right. I know purpose is a big deal. And I feel like when I teach the my girls, like, you know, finding your purpose and your passion, And, you know, we're trying to come up with these interview questions, and some of them are, how do you describe success? How do you describe leadership? How do you describe confidence? How do you describe success? How would you describe that word?
1: So the best definition I ever heard of success came from a man by the name of John Wooden, who was the basketball coach at UCLA during the 1970s. Man, had an unbelievably great career as a basketball coach but he was probably even a better human being because he he came up with what's called the pyramid of success, which had all these different blocks of what he felt was important in life that you needed to be successful. And his definition of success was this. Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did the best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. You know, and here's this great coach all about winning. You never. If you listen to that definition, it says nothing about winning. It's right. absolutely nothing about winning. It just says about peace of mind. Success is peace of mind. What do you mean success is peace of mind? It's that calmness. It's that peacefulness. Know that I left it all on the court or I left it all in the gym or all in the classroom or whatever it is. I left it all out there. I did the best I could and I'll take whatever comes with
0: it. Right. I always talk about the four agreements, that book. Did you ever read that? The one of our, I haven't. One of the agreements is always do your best. And, you know, I think of just in life, learning that, just that one little thing, learning to know that you did everything you possibly could. And then when you're done, you, like what I'm dealing with right now with the girls, you practice hard every single day. Right now, we leave in a couple of days in your heart. When you start there, you know, you're coming with everything you, you gave it your all. And if you can leave there without not caring if you want or not, you know, that you did your best. Oh my gosh. That's the best gift you could have given any yourself in life is yeah. knowing that. Yeah. You
1: know, and as a coach, you know, I always used to tell my players, if you give me a hundred percent and we lose, I'm good with that. If we lose on the scoreboard, I'm good with that. But if you give me 80% and we win on the scoreboard, I'm not good with that. You didn't bring it all. You didn't leave it all on the court. So it took them a while to figure that out. It's like, well, if we win, we win. No. This isn't about, you know, basketball, especially coaching at high school. It's not about winning or losing. You know, I never talked about winning or losing. It's what you're going to learn about yourself and how you can be successful in life.
0: Right. Oh, you know, my, I was telling you Paige is doing crew and, you know, it's, it's like a new thing. But it's about the team, you know, learning that, especially in crew, like you can't miss a, there's a seat that's going to be empty and it can't yeah. go, you know, right. there's no sub for that. And every stroke has to be in sync and, you know, learning that whole mindset has been amazing this past year to watch that and how I see it affect her life in every other way. But I think as a, you know, learning through sports, like you were saying, you know, learning that, you know, it's a team and you give it your best. You can't let anyone down. You're the, you know, we're all important.
1: You are. And that's the important thing, you know, and it doesn't. I've been blessed, I think, to have done it in, in team sports, but you can do it if you're you know, a member of the theater group or the, or the debate team or, or whatever it is, because whatever the team, if you think about it, the greatest team game that we all play is, is this game of life. You know, we're all, you know, there's a tendency, I think, today, you know, especially among younger people to, you know, it's all about me, what's in it for me? And when you come on to that realization that, you're interconnected to that person, this person, and that family member, and this It's not all about you. It's about us. And when it's about us, we can get a whole lot done. When it's just about you, it's really hard to get something done.
0: Oh, so good. When you talk about embrace the pain and suffering, tell me where that comes from. Does that come from the cancer?
1: That does. I have, you know, experienced a lot of pain In my life, you know, whether it was with that, with the amputations, with all those years, you know, having the flu for for such a long period of time to to losing my leg now and and trying to to fight back from that. So again, going back to our brains being hardwired to avoid pain. We want to get away from we want to, you know, and and people do that in a lot of different ways, unfortunately. Some people, you know, drink alcohol, some people take drugs, you know, some people just retreat and, and go into the depression. But what I'm saying with that is do just the, out. instead of running from it, embrace it, take it in and use it to make you stronger. And there are days, and I don't, you know, there are days during my clinical trial where sometimes I'll get stuck with the needle 18, 19, 20 times in one day. Right. And, and I, don't, I love the nurses. They are so good and so compassionate. And they're always like, You know, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's like, no, it's okay. Bring it on. It will make me stronger. That's a mindset. That's flipping that switch. Just like the first one that we talked about of saying, no, I'm not running from it. I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it to make you stronger. Now, how I did that, I don't know. If I knew I'd write a book, I'd be living on some island in Jamaica somewhere because it would (laughs) be an amazing story. But we're all going to experience that pain. Instead of running from it, stand up to it. Take it on and realize that it's not going to beat you. You know, every day you've got to prove yourself. Every day is day one, week one. The only easy day was yesterday. So not today. I'm going to step up again. I got to do it again. And then when I go for my therapy on Tuesday, it'll do it again. And on Wednesday, it'll be. So there's never an easy day. You just have to realize that if you take this, it can make you stronger. It can make you tougher. And it can make you more determined.
0: Right. And that is a mindset because you're telling your mind that, you know, like you're going to, you made up your mind. This is how it's going to be. It's going to be for the better of me. It's going to be for the growth of me.
1: It is. I mean, this is going to suck, but I'm going to take that suck and I'm going to make something good out of it. Right. You know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, it's kind of like if you want to, if you want a job and so like that, if it was easy, everybody would have that job. If it was easy, everybody would have that position. If it was easy, everybody would be in first place. It, it's the suck or the bad parts that make it good when you finally reach that goal.
0: Right. Those are the parts of the story that you just love to share, you know, with exactly. people. Oh. So then the third one is the legacy, leaving the legacy. What, tell me that. Cause what is your, what do you feel like? Cause you're going to be, you're leaving a legacy, right? You're leaving a legacy. You may be yeah, making an impact. And
1: I think that was, for me, it was, when I found out I was losing my leg and, and after I had it removed, I went to, to the cemetery, to the church, to the mortuary, and I planned my funeral. And I got oh some God. pushback on that from people that were like, you know, don't don't you think that's negative? You know, and, and I, I kind of looked at them like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. And, you know, it, it was kind of the, you know, everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. And I, I wanted to say, I've been down this road before. I I did it with my mother when my father died and you're exhausted and you're emotionally spent and now you've got to go plan the funeral and all that. I'm like, no, this is a gift. This will be the final gift that I'm offering to my family. So I don't think that this is negative in any way. I don't want to die. I'm not, I don't want to hasten it or anything like that. But when it comes, it's okay. It's okay to die when you find your purpose in life and you live it. There's not the fear. There's not the anxiety associated with that. And for me, in a lot of ways, having faith in God and believing in God, I'm almost excited to see what's on the other side of this. You know, God, you put me here on this earth. I feel I've lived the purpose you put me here to do, which in the beginning, I think was law enforcement. Now I think it's whatever time I have left, it's put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much love, as much peace back into the world as I possibly can. So I want people to think about the end game. What are people going to say about you at your funeral? Would your ancestors, and I know, you know, maybe in the United States, this isn't as big of a deal, but in other countries, ancestry is a big deal. Would your ancestors be proud of the life that you live? Because, you know, they paved the way all of us, you know, to, to have whatever life we have. Would they be proud of that? So that's really, you know, what you leave behind. And I guess I want people to realize that there's always somebody that's watching you. I had a nurse who, when I started my clinical trial, she was in training and now she's on her own taking care of patients. And a couple months ago, she came to me and said, Terry, I want to tell you a story, but I'm kind of nervous about telling you. And she started to tell it, and then she had to leave. She was too nervous. But she came back, and she said, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. I had a a very good friend of mine that died. I was in a very dark place. She's about 25 years old. She said, I talked to my parents. I was going to quit nursing. I was going to go to work for Amazon. And she said, and then I met you, and I saw your story. And I, I see what you go through every single day when you're here, and I knew I was in the right place. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that my life had an impact on her. I think we're all in that situation. There's an old saying, Coach Wooden, who I gave you the the success definition from, he had another saying, and it was this, a careful person I want to be, a little person follows me, I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. Mm-hmm. So I think there's people out there, whether they're younger people, what they're watching. You know, they're watching Ashley. They're watching Terry. They're watching. How are you living your life? What are you doing? And I think if you sort of keep that in the back of your mind, it's important to realize that again, this just isn't about you. Your life is kind of like throwing that pebble in the water; those ripples that move out. That's everybody you touch who you may not even know.
0: Right. When you think of dying, and I know that you believe in God and. Do you feel like this was a gift that you, that pushed you to really like write the book and, you know, become a motivator, you know, like really send a message out? Do you look at it that way?
1: I do. People ask me, you know, do you blame God because you got cancer? And I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning and looked at his to-do list and said, ah, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I don't think God did that, but I think God has given me the strength to get through those five years of interferon, to get through the amputations and things and things like that. So this is what I feel he, she, it, whatever you believe your God to be, wants me to do. I look back in, in June of 2020 recently, my doctor showed me my, my CAT scan of my lungs. And I, I remember looking at it, and I mean, I'm no expert on CAT scans, but I'm an expert enough to know that my question to him was, how was I alive? Oh, wow. He's like, I have no idea. I mean, my, my lungs were so full of tumor, my pleural spaces around my, my lungs were full of fluid. It, it was like, how was I alive? It's like, I don't know. Which said to me, God's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. And, and when he is done and people are, you know, are you worried about dying? No. When I die, that, that decision way above my pay grade. You know, no, nobody's paying me enough to make that decision. Somebody already did that. And when it happens, it's okay. It's, it's not something that scares me. It's not something I want right now, don't get me wrong, but it's not something that I'm fearful of.
0: Is it different in your marriage? Do you guys really like appreciate each other more or is there a different shift in that relationship?
1: I mean, I feel there's no doubt my wife and, and daughter are, are the reason I'm still alive. I remember two quick stories. One was when I initially found out about the tumors in my lungs, my doctor wanted to start me on chemotherapy. And, you know, it's been eight years and I I was tired and I'm like, I just lost my leg. I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. But I'll go home and talk to my family. So, I mean, it's me and my wife and daughter. So I go home and I, I start telling them about it. My daughter's immediately like family meeting. I'm like family meeting. There's three of us. You know, I mean, what's the big deal here? You know, so family meeting, we talk about it. And my daughter's like, okay, let's take a vote. Everybody wants dad to take chemotherapy. Raise your hand. So my wife and daughter raised their hand. I get outvoted two to one. So I end up taking chemotherapy. Oh my gosh. It didn't quite happen that way, but it came pretty close to it. But then there was a, after my second surgery and I was released from the hospital, I had 40 staples in my groin and I was sent home and I, I needed to get up the stairs into the bedroom. And I was 6.8, 240 pounds and I'm on crutches. And I had made the mistake of not taking pain medication before I left. The hospital and my groin was on fire. I mean, I was in so much pain. I got about halfway up the stairs and I looked at my wife and daughter and I said, I got to take a break. You just got to let me sit down. And my daughter, who was in high school, probably 15 at the time, said, Absolutely not. And literally grabbed me by my lapels as my wife sort of pushed from the back and they got me up the stairs. And the thing I remember about that story and what I always ask people is, who in your life is pushing or pulling you towards your goals? Or maybe more importantly, who are you pushing and pulling toward their goals? You know, that was that was a big event in my life because I honestly didn't think I was going to make it up the stairs. But because I relied on other people and I had people that loved me in my life, they were able to push me and pull me to where I needed to be. Oh,
0: wow. That's amazing. You know, you think of just going through something like that and, you know, looking at life in a different way because you really don't know if how, how much longer maybe it is, you know, but we don't either, you know, that's why people like you can sit here and listen to your story. What you've gone through is the pain and all that. No, don't get me wrong, but we don't know if we're going to die tomorrow. We could go in the car to, Tonight, you know, and, and I, so I'm so about, and when I think of you, it's like living in the now living today, live in the, like there's no yesterday and there's no tomorrow. All we have is this moment and to do, what can you do? And I always say, be love, give love every morning. When I send my messages to my students, be love and give love, be the one that loves, you know, give it to every single situation in your life. And that is what you do. And I, if the message that I see what you do is yeah we don't know life is we don't have that we're not at that pace scale <laughs> right? right i love i love that analogy but go to the place where i think is beautiful is that when you're going through the middle of all of this stuff you decide to write a book <laughs> you might as well keep busy keep your mind busy right so go go to that and how even the book came into your life that way and what made you write it because i love sure, that story so-
1: the book is, I mean, I had never written a book in my life. I, I was good at, at writing in English in high school and college, but I, I'd never written a book. So the book was really born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former basketball player that I coached who had moved to Colorado where my wife and I live with her, with her fiancé, and we had had dinner with him. And I said to her one night, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can kind of watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she kind of looked at me and she's like, Well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason God puts you on the face of this earth and then living that purpose. So that was that was one conversation. The second one was with a young man in college who had connected with me on LinkedIn and wanted to know what I thought were the most important things that he should know to not only be successful in his job or in business, but in life. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others kind of thing. Not that, that those aren't important. They're very important and they should be done. But I wanted to try to go, for lack of a better word, deeper. I wanted to try to get something in his soul, so to speak. So I thought about it for a while, wrote down some notes. And eventually I had these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, I got a life story that fits under this principle, or I know somebody's life who emulates that principle. And so, as I said, I had my leg amputated in April of 2020, started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs in June of 2020. So during that three-month period where I was healing, instead of sitting around watching Netflix all day, I would sit at the computer and build stories under each of those principles, And that's how sustainable excellence, the 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life came about.
0: Oh, I love it. And I was looking at it and I was reading about, that's really what i said in the intro was what it says about you in the book. But the three things that you want to, like that it says about the book is what is excellence? How do you achieve it? And how do you sustain it? Those are your three, the principles that you were trying to get across
1: Those were the ideas I was trying to get across. I mean, they were, you know, it's funny because the principles are not in any order. Number one is not any more important than number nine or anything like that. But it's funny as I as people see the book, read the book, and look at the principles, how different principles resonate with different people. And the one that's that really always resonates with me, probably because I've done it a lot in my life. I think it's the third one, and each of the principles or a chapter is. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I, I know I've like, you know, I'd like to do this, but mm, that scares me. Or, you know, if I do this, I might fail or, you know, my friends might laugh at me or, or whatever it ends up being. And that's kind of the one that resonates with me. And then as people go through it, they're like, well, what about this one? And, and this this one resonates. So it's it's kind of fun for me to sort of step back and say, well, this one resonates with me. Which one resonates with you? And you know, you write a book and you're thinking, is it any good? You know, do I do I really have a book here? And when I released the book, I was all about, I've got to sell books, I've got to sell books, I've got to sell books. And I had a, a best-selling author who I'd connected with over in the UK, who kind of pulled me aside, you know, sort of on the internet and said, Terry, you're you're missing the point. Your job is not to sell books, your job is to help people. If you help people, the books will sell themselves. And I was so glad that he sent that. He said that to me because I didn't write the book to get famous or to make money or or even to get speaking engagements. I wrote it to try to help people, try to give people a better life. And that's what's that's all I care about. So, I don't even go on Amazon very often to look and see how many people I don't care how many people buy it. It's not about selling the books, it's about getting the message across.
0: Right. I love that. You know, you think of leaving a legacy, right? And having a book to leave a legacy that your grandkids and all the ones will be able to read that and to see your story and all these, I mean, even just this podcast, you know, and that you're doing these podcasts and these interviews and you're speaking and to leave and be an impact and change people's lives and give them hope that we are all here to do big things and take big steps and dream bigger than you think you can, and not ha- live in the fear mode of life because that's not where it, the magic is.
1: <laughs> no, but I've done that, and you've probably done it. I oh, think most course. people do that, you know. <laughs> and that's why that one resonates. It probably because I'm mad at myself. You know, it's like, why did you do that? Well, I wasn't as mature, you know, wh- right. whether it was emotional maturity or, or, or just regular maturity. I wasn't mature back then. I didn't get it. You know, I, I, I get it now. And there, there was a, it's funny. There was a basketball coach back in 1993, Jim Valvano, coached at North Carolina state who won an award for courage. And, and at the time he was dying of cancer and he gave a great speech. It's, it's on YouTube. And what he said was cancer can take all my faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And in 1993, when he gave that speech, I didn't understand that at all. Now, 2021, I get that. You know, I mean, cancer has taken my foot. It has taken my leg. It's, it's taken a lot of my space in my lungs. But cancer hasn't touched my heart. It hasn't touched my mind and it hasn't touched my soul. And it won't because all this body is, is a vessel. It's something to contain who I really am, who we really are. So don't get all excited or, you know, oh, my foot's got to go. get, yeah, okay, it's a foot. Big deal. You got another one. So, you know, it's, you can right. figure it out. You can work it out. That's not who you are.
0: Right. Oh, yes. And when you think of like your soul and, you know, we all go to heaven or we all go onto this different, whatever level of being, do you get that feeling like, okay, I'm next time I come back, I'm going to, do you believe in that kind of stuff?
1: I'm not so sure I believe in that. I kind of, you know, it kind of goes back to the story I, I told about Alexander the Great. You know, here's all the things that I did that I can't take with me. I can't take my money, my power, my prestige, my title. None of that comes with me. But what I think does come with us is the love that we have in our heart. You know, the we were created in love. And I, and I always, you know, whenever I get down or something like that, I start thinking about this. It's like, okay, here's a God who I believe. Is love, you know, not is it like love, or you know, it made us. And He is love, and He created us, knowing all the dumb, stupid, crazy, simple things we were going to do in our life, and yet still loved us enough to put us on this world to try to make a difference. And when I think about that, that is so powerful and so overwhelming. And that's why I believe that 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 love that I was created in will go with me. After I'm done with this life, I take that love back with me to to my God. And hopefully I have done what I needed to do. And I've seen a lot of people die, unfortunately, as a police officer and, and certainly with a number of people I've known who have cancer throughout the years. And the people who and, and I'm going to make a huge generalization here. The people who die, probably what you and I would consider happy deaths or peaceful deaths. Seem to be the people that found their purpose in life and lived it. And the people who, you know, go kicking and screaming, they want another day or another month or another year again, huge generalization, seem to be the people who never did anything with their life. You know, they never took the chance to become that great person that God put them here to do
0: mm-hmm. uh, or yes. to be. And I always say, don't ever say what if. The what ifs don't get very far. I don't like the word what if, so just do it. Yeah. Right. We're coming to the end, but I want to talk about your motivationalcheck.com, your website, and then we can find your book on Amazon and your website.
1: Yeah. The, the book is pretty much anywhere you can find a book online. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com. You can get it in Apple iBooks and things like that. Yeah, motivational check was a blog that I started back in 2019. Every day I put up a, a new thought or a quote for the day on motivation or inspiration. On Mondays, I put the Monday morning motivational message. But but motivational check. just, just a quick story to end here. You know, people were suggesting I, it was right after I had my foot amputated, and I was like, literally, I'd lay in bed at night and kind of look up the ceiling. All right, God, now what? What do you want me to do? And you know, there's that old joke that says when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you God ever talked to me. He never did. But there were people that started to make this suggestion like, hey, you ought to start a blog. You ought to start a blog. You ought to start?" And I was totally against them. I'm like, I can barely turn my cell phone on in the morning and you want me to start a blog? And they're like, yeah, you should start a blog. And when enough people started saying that, I kind of perked up and thought, you know, maybe there's maybe this is God's way of saying, hey, dummy, you ought to start a blog. You know, Mm -hmm. listen to these people. I'm telling them what you need to do. And so I did. And, you know, the blog was initially four pages long and literally it took me four months. I mean, I'd I'd start something. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I got to go research it. And I came back. I'm sure my daughter could have done it in about 15 minutes, but literally it took me four months, but it's up and it's running and I'm proud of it. And if you need a quick hit of motivation, For inspiration, go to motivationalcheck.com.
0: Oh, I love it. And I was reading it. It was amazing. So thank you, Terry. This has been an absolute pleasure. You know, when I was learning about you, I love to just be organic and not know where the story was going to go. And it's absolutely beautiful. And I'm so grateful for that, this hour that we got to share and for your time and your message and your beautiful gift that you are to this world.
1: Well, Ashley, thank you, because it's, it's people like you who allow people like me to come on and tell my story. And hopefully, between our conversation, we're going to make a difference in, in some of the lives of the members of your audience. So thank you for allowing me to do this.
0: Oh, You're welcome. And I look forward to watching you do all the things that you do, all the magic in your life that is to come.
1: Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, always look for the magic.